For me to live is Christ For me to die is gain Every moment in between There'll be joy and there'll be pain I can't worry about the future Or change a thing about my past I've got this moment to believe And I'm gonna make it last I am filled To be emptied This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. From one church to another, it was the first time that I was actually going to have a staff, and I had a youth minister named Jeremy. And Jeremy was one of those guys who was like, "Why can't we just whatever?" And uh, he, he was great for me because sometimes we would be trying to dance around an issue because we didn't want to hurt someone's feelings or something, and he'd say, "Why can't we just do this thing?" Um, uh, and so one of the things I learned from him was to just ask that question: "Why can't we just?" Um, but another thing I learned from him that is really important today is um, he, he came to me one time and he said, Michael, he said, he said, I need to talk to you about something. I said, what? And he said, he said, I just been thinking about this. He said, I just noticed in my prayer life that a lot of times um, when I want to talk to God, I just run down the hall and throw open the throne room doors and jump up in his lap and say, daddy, 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 you know what? I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this. And he said, he said, don't you think there's a place in our theology to stand at the door and knock and to wait for the king to grant us his presence? And I said, well, Jeremy, I, I, I can kind of see both. I can see that there are some times when we just need to know that dad is listening, but we need to remember that dad is king. And how we approach him depends on the situation, right? It, it, um, if, if we're hurting, we don't want to have to stand at the door and knock. We want to be able to run in and say, Daddy, Daddy, I'm hurting. If we are needing something from him, sometimes it might be appropriate to stand at the door and knock. We're about to ask the king uh, for what we are, we are wanting. And I, I think there's a little bit of both in that. Well, this is just true. How uh, the way we approach God tells a lot about what we think about God. And if we recognize that he is our king and he's our father, then that gives us a chance to understand the special relationship we have with him. Uh, we can call him Abba, but we must also remember that he is the king of the universe. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, we find ourselves um, really having a dual relationship with him. We can come to him and say, I'm your servant and bow low and wait for him to invite us into his presence. But we can also run into his arms and say, Daddy, I need you right now. So we always start off with a consider question. And one of the things that we want you guys to consider today for 10 or 12 seconds, you don't have to share it with anybody. You're just pondering this question. It gets you ready for what we're teaching today. And that is, how is your attitude when you approach God? All right, we started this series at the beginning of this month, and we started by talking about Jesus. 
when he was 12 years old and went into the temple, and Mary and Joseph lost him, or at least they thought they did. <laughs> right. Right? And what we learned in that first uh, lesson was that Jesus was there learning about his father, learning about the Jewish people and the leaders, and yes. his place in this world. Yes. But one of the things that we learned was Jesus, even though he was the son of God, he was not afraid to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And when they found him in the temple, that's what he was doing. Um, and so he was asking questions. And if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. That's right. And if he can ask questions, so can we. Um, and then we began our journey that we're going to be doing all this year in the Old Testament. And we're going to be tying what these Old Testament stories and passages and tying it into our Savior Jesus and where we see Jesus in the scriptures. That's right. Um, and so the first week, uh, Carrie and I preached together and we preached on... <coughs> Uh, chapter one and two with the, with the yes. creation yes. and all that God created and what he meant by that. And from the very beginning, the Trinity is found in that first chapter. Yes. Yes. And then last week, you and I taught on chapter three, and we saw where the Holy Spirit is introduced, as well as Jesus is introduced in the 15th verse. Yes where he is going to step on the head of the snake, yes. which is which is Satan. And that, that promise is given from the very beginning. And what we've been talking about, in order to understand and further our faith, we have to know our past, yes. right? Yes. And just like we focus on Revelation at the end, we focus on Genesis at the beginning. Yes. And I think as we go through this, this continued study and through the Old Testament, we're going to see more and more and fully understand why God gave us his word. It's to prepare us for the coming Messiah yes. and then prepare us for when he's gonna come again. So that is the purpose of the of what we're, we're talking about yeah. and what we're focusing in on. Um, but bef uh, before we go into chapter four though, because we're gonna be in Genesis chapter four today, if you've got your Bibles, pull those out. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the table. Yes. Um, or you can pull it up on your YouVersion app on your phone. Yep. Um, but we're going to be in chapter 4. But flip one page over, if you have to, into chapter 3. That's right. And uh, we're going to take a look at that real quick. We promised you guys last week that we would discuss this. Because the end of chapter 3 kind of gets us ready to talk about chapter four, because we're gonna be talking about free will and we're gonna be talking about um, a part of this end of this story of the fall that sometimes people have questions about. Yeah, yeah misunderstanding. So misunderstanding, and so we wanted to just briefly talk about that and then go into chapter four. And we're gonna be looking at four, primarily at four, we'll touch lightly on five, but we're going to be primarily in chapter four today. So yes. do you want to go ahead and read the end of three? Yes. So beginning it, in verse remember that um, Eve, Eve has taken the fruit. She's given the fruit to Adam. And then uh, God has come in and confronted them. And he's already pronounced the curse. And then there's this interesting passage in chapter three, verse 22, where it says, Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So if, you, if you're reading that for the first time, and you're not paying attention to the context, what it sounds like is God is worried that the human beings will be on the same playing field as him. 
that they now know good and evil, so if they also have mortal life, maybe they'll be like him. But that's not true. They were already made in the image of God. They already knew what good was, and when they fell, they learned what evil was. And now they're in a fallen state. And what God is worried about is that we would live in our mortal bodies forever in this fallen state. And what he wants for us is to, to redeem us, to return us to that perfect state. And so what he doesn't want to happen is for us to live forever in these mortal bodies and never experience anything greater than what we can experience here on this earth with, with all these human beings. When we all make all of these terrible choices and we all have, we struggle with staying in line with God's will. And so we all hurt each I always call, the way I describe sin is, sin is when you break your relationship with God and you hurt yourself and you hurt others. And every sin has some, some in some way, you break your relationship with God, you hurt yourself, and you hurt others. And so he's like, I don't want them to live in that. So I don't want them to live forever. What I want to have, their souls are going to live forever. And so I'm going to keep that. But their mortal bodies are now going to, to die. Mm -hmm. And so he is keeping them from living forever. And that's how death comes into uh, the picture. Right. And when you read that, you could think, oh, God was being judgmental and mean there by the way he says it but if you actually look at what, how he says it he's basically saying I want to protect them I want to protect them that's right you know these are my sons and daughter future sons and daughters and I want to protect them and so I'm going to put the cherubim there to guard the tree of life because they've already fallen once now evil is a part of the picture I don't want to tempt, I don't want them to have to fall again and live forever in this world that is now has sin in it and so he's placing that angel, those angels there, that cherubim there, to protect man and woman. And once again, like we talked about last week, when we were looking at three, there is so much of God's mercy, God's mercy. and love and yes. grace. Yes. You know, the, the, the consequences of Adam and Eve's choice and free will mm -hmm. to eat of that tree it was the consequences. And so what we saw right at the very beginning, that God is a father. He is an Abba, right? So there's a difference between punishment and, and discipline. discipline. That's right. And so we, and, and if there is a punishment, he also covers it with mercy and love. And so he does that from the very beginning in chapter three, when he casts them from the garden and there are consequences to their free will choice. However, we see throughout the end of chapter 3 yeah. and then into chapter 22, he, yeah. he's constantly giving yeah. them mercy. And one That's of the right. big things last week we talked about was when that happened, he could have easily walked away from the earth. Mm -hmm. He could have said, all right, y'all made that mistake out of your free will that it is your choice. I'm out of here. And he could have left us on this earth in a horrible state. But he didn't do that because he's our He's our daddy. He's yeah. our father. Yes. He loves us, and he wasn't going to leave us that way. At and the so, same time, mm -hmm. he's also our king, and right. so he needs to be obeyed. That's right. And so what we're going to find is that from this point, as we start looking at chapter 4 and 5, is that he is allowed, he's, a, he's slowly allowing man to do his own thing, and every time man gets a chance to do his own thing, he messes it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's start in chapter 4, verse 1. If y'all are there, say Amen. All right. Excellent. Now, Adam, we're going to go from one to, we're going to look at one through six here. Um, and what we're going to do before I start in verse one, what we're going to talk about today is Cain and Abel, two brothers that are given a choice and what the consequences of that is. But also, once again, we're going to see God's mercy and love in that. OK, 
okay? Mm-hmm. So beginning in verse <clears throat> 1. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel's gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Now, the first thing is Cain's name can mean possession. Yes. And so one of the things that we talked about it, or we talked about when we were studying this is that Cain is the first child born into the world of sin. Right. We don't really know because there's so much of the picture of Genesis that God doesn't give us. And if he did, if he gave us every everything, it would probably fill this yeah, entire room yeah. full of books, yeah. right? He, God is choosing and selecting certain stories and certain things to show us still all pointing to his mercy, grace, and love, and Jesus, okay? So we don't know if Adam and Eve had children prior to the fall. We really don't know. The scripture doesn't say that. But regardless, it doesn't matter because Cain is the first child that's born into the world where evil slash sin exists, okay? And so one of the things that we talked about was when Eve, or not Eve, when, yes, when Eve said, I have produced a man. Yes, Okay, some of that could have been, this is my baby. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's that possession that she's not seeing that he is a necessarily a gift from God and that he is a part of this creation. It's more, this is my man and my baby now, and he's yeah. way up here, yeah. way more important than he should be, right? The, 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 the Hebrew word there that, that the NLT says produced could also mean acquired. Like this one, this is mine. I have a, like you acquire a car or you acquire a, a new bike or you acquire a new clothing. You, I acquired a man. I've got, I've got something that I can call mine now. And so we don't know. They, they just come into this concept of sin. Um, the first thing they did was blame each other. Chances are Adam and Eve were not getting along very well. So what Possibly. if... If they're not getting along very well, and now she has this son, and she's like, now I can raise this son to love me the way that I want to be loved. Um, and in that, in that sense of possession, she may actually have spoiled Cain some. She may have made Cain feel like he was more important than he was. Well, and she remembers that God promised that yes. there would be someone who would be coming through the seed of a woman. That's right. Who would crush the head of Satan? The, the head of Satan. Yeah. So in so their why mind, not why is it not Cain? Cain's yeah. the chosen one, right? Yeah. So there's probably maybe some of. I mean, that's all speculation, right? But when you see it, that it makes makes some sense as to why Cain. He's the firstborn, and he feels like he's important. Right. And Eve feels like he's even more important because he's the firstborn and maybe the chosen one, right? So just remember that as we're going into the story. Now you see later. Um, like I said, Abel was the shepherd. Cain cultivated the ground. Um, and then beginning in verse 3, you know, he it's time for the harvest, and they both present to God their gifts. Right. Now, here's where we have two different attitudes going on. Yes. The first one is Abel approached God with gratitude. 
So you said that this morning, boy, that was yeah. the Holy Spirit just to move Absolutely. in because we were, that's the first point we want to make is Abel approached God with gratitude. So Abel went and got some of the fat portions from some of the firstborn, his what we call first fruits, yes. right, of his flock and brought it to the Lord. In other words, he sacrificed the best of the best he had to demonstrate his love for the Lord. And the difference between Cain and Abel we're going to see is the attitude of the heart. Right, he his heart was right with God, and the Scripture tells us that the Lord looked with fav- favor um, on Abel and his offering. And you see validation of that in the New Testament in Hebrews eleven four. Mm-hmm. Paul talks about how this it it was it was the fact that um, Abel was giving the first fruits and Cain was not. Right, but let's see what Cain brings. Cain also brings an attitude before God. Right. Yes. So you'll see in verse 3, it says, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. So Cain basically just sort of offered whatever happened to be on hand, right? He, he did just enough to right. try to stay on speaking terms with yes. God. That there was speaks. no real sacrifice on Cain's part. You know, it wasn't the first fruits. It wasn't the very best of what he had crop-wise. It was, right. well, I think this will do. Right, almost like a second thought. He knew it, and the Lord knew it. And his attitude was not what it should have been. And he certainly, remember this, did not resemble the attitude which we later see and is revealed in Jesus. And we're going to come back to that. But God looked with great favor upon Abel and his offering. God's attitude toward Cain and his offering, obviously, as, as we saw, was not very positive. So Cain, what does Cain do? Cain does what we all do. He immediately gets angry. <laughs> I love he immediately that the feels NL- rejected. The, the NLT <laughs> says dejected, dejected, which is such a great word. Like, yeah. you, like, oh. So he's probably thinking to himself, well, how could God accept my brother's offering and not accept mine? I mean, come yeah. on. I'm the firstborn. Well, I'm the firstborn. I'm right. the chosen one. Yeah, right, right? right. I mean, I'm important. So right here, we're seeing envy. Yes. The sin of envy, right? He's He's jealous. Yes. of Abel and he's jealous that God has found favor with Abel but not with him yes his desire to have what Abel had mm-hmm. slowly begins to burn inside of him when it says he's very he's very angry what that word in the Hebrew means is that it's an anger that burns inside of him mm-hmm. so if you ever been upset about something and you keep replaying it and you just it just gets worse every time you do it. And you think, man, if if I was I had to do over again, I'd say this. If I had that to do over again, I'd Friday. say this. And I, I had an incident like that on Friday. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it was a burning <clears throat> anger within me. Yes. Yes. I and know so that feeling. At, at, yes. at some point, if you have envy, that is a sin, and you have a kind of wrath that is unwarranted, is is a sin, and now you is becoming bitterness, mm-hmm. and all of that's working on your heart, and what God is going to show us is that 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 cannot stay in your heart without consequences. Mm-hmm. If you allow that to build in your heart, it is going to come out somehow and probably not in the best way. All right, so let's see how the Lord responds to Cain in verse six. Why are you so angry? <laughs> the Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. 
So God saw what was happening in Cain, right? And told him how to fix the problem. Look, all you need to do is what you know is the right thing to do. Right. Now, did God say here in verse 7, if you are perfect, then I will accept you. That's not what he says, is it? He says, do what is right. You know what is right. Yeah, do just, do right what is, just do the next right thing. Yes. And if yes. you do that, then you will find my favor. <clears throat> yeah. But there is this thing called sin, and it is crouching like the lion we talked about last week in the bush, yeah. waiting to pounce. And if you don't take control of that, subdue it, then it, it, it's going to cause you regret. I, Alexander McLaren's one of my favorite uh, commentators on the Bible. He's an old Scotsman, and, and uh, his books are like, the books I have of him are just old. They're, like you can tell how old he can smell the old in them. Um, but he's talking about this, and he says, he says what, what he's saying here is that um, when we allow sin to stay with us, it takes on a life of its own, mm -hmm. and it's not a good life. It's a life that's waiting to destroy more of you. And so the more we let that fester inside of us, the more sin it begets. Mm -hmm. And, and by, by doing that, puts you in a place where the first time you walk out the door, it's going to pounce on you right away. Mm -hmm. And we've all experienced that. If you've ever been struggling with an habitual sin, you find that you just keep going back to the same thing over and over and over again. And it's like every time you think that you're past it, something reminds you of it in some way, some form or fashion. All of a sudden, you're thinking those thoughts again. In, in addiction, we call it triggers, right? In addiction, we call it triggers. There's something that's causing us to go toward that thing again. And the enemy loves to, put, to pull those triggers. Oh, yeah. Every time we struggle with temptation, right? Because let's temptation and sin are two different things. Yes. Temptation is, I really want to do that. Yeah. Right? Temptation is... Satan whispering in Cain's ear saying, you've got a right to be angry. You should get back at him. Yeah, yeah. You should give him a piece of your mind. Right? It all he's, sounds he's, so plausible. He's, he's, he's egging that on. He's trying to get that sin, that, that desire of sin to take over inside of Cain's heart right. and in his mind. I'm glad you said that because it reminded me. This word desire is only used three times in the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, Carrie found this out. And as we looked at the three times in the Bible that it's talked about, in two of the times it's talking about a marriage. And then this time when it's talking about sin. Mm -hmm. So it's like sin is trying to wed itself to you. The Hebrew word, your... yes. The Hebrew word there, it means deep longing. Yes. A very deep like you longing. After. So sin is desiring after us. Mm -hmm. Right? It's, its aim is to destroy us. Kill, steal, and destroy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and Satan makes that bait enticing. And we must learn how to free, flee from that. So when we see temptation, when we feel temptation, we're going to talk about here in a minute how you detour that. Yeah. And, and that I, is through Jesus. Think, so, being so like him. Thinking of Jesus learning, learning through this. This is, so this concept is before the law. This is before there's a Mosaic law to tell Cain exactly what he's supposed to do. But So in some form or fashion, Cain had a sense of what was right and what was wrong. And we're going to talk about that at the end. We think the Holy Spirit's a big part of that. Mm -hmm. um, but the, 
it gave him some sense of what is right and what is wrong. But there is no Jesus. There is no uh, someone who died for you and, and now you can accept him as your savior. This is, I have to do it right myself. And so this is teaching, like this is letting Jesus know how hard it is to live a perfect life. And I think this prepares Jesus for the temptation that he's going to experience in the desert later. So uh, when he said, so we also know that Cain, this wasn't the only thing Cain did wrong. That's why God says you will be accepted if you do what is right. First John 3, 12 visits this and talks about the fact that Cain must have been doing some unrighteous things to make God feel this way and say this. All of us are going to face temptation the quicker we change and allow Jesus to have his way in us, which we're going to talk about in a minute, the better our lives are going to be. But Cain would just not let this go, right? Let's go back to our story. He would just not let this go. He became jealous and he just continued to dwell on it right. and churning and dwelling and brewing inside of him. Um, and so let's look how Cain responds in verse 8. So he comes to his brother. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out to the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now I can imagine him coming to, hey, bro. Today it'd be bro. Hey, bro. Yeah, hey, bro. Hey, bro. Let's go out to the field. I found this really cool place that the ground is good. I want you to see it. I'm excited. And what does Abel do? Abel's like, he's my brother. I'm going to do what he's asking me to do, right? Never once in his mind did he think Cain's up to something, right? He just follows him out there and, and all of that. And I think one of the things that we talked about that I kind of stuck out to me was that's why it's, it's always important to have people around you who can see when temptation is there, right? So a lot of us have non-Christian friends or non-believer friends or not yet. Yeah. And that's okay, but it's also really important to have believers in your corner too, even if it's just one person that you trust, right? Someone who can say, you know, I don't know if that person really has your best interests at heart, <laughs> right? And so being yeah. able to have yeah. and surround yourself, so, you know, it's just something that we need to always remember and to consider <laughs> is to have someone in your life that can speak to that. Um, so here Cain and Abel are. They went out as brothers into the field. Um, but Cain allowed his desires, his anger, everything to take over. Yeah. I, think, I think he actually took Abel out there maybe to talk about it. Possibly, to, yeah. To just, hey, do you think this was fair kind of thing? I think that, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us that I'm a storyteller, so I always look for, what, how would this make sense in the story? And I can imagine Cain just burning and like, I got to talk to Abel about this because it's not fair that he's doing this. And so he starts talking and Abel's like, no, you don't understand. It's not my fault. I didn't want to. And the, the longer they went, they started shouting. And all of a sudden, Cain makes an impulsive decision. I, it's possible that Cain took him out there to kill him. It's also possible that he took him out there to talk to him and ended up killing him. Either way, he was wrong, wasn't he? doesn't matter which one it was. He was wrong. Right. And so, you know, sometimes some people will ask, well, how can he do such a thing? That was his brother, his yeah. flesh and blood. Yeah. Right. But we live in a fallen world. We see it today all the time, <laughs> all don't the time. we? Right. Yeah. We see family turn on each other. They lie, um, abuse, steal, and even kill each other. 
And that's because of the consequences of our fallen world, because of sin. Yes. And, and because when we allow sin, like we said before, to sit there and crouch and just build and grow and become that bitterness inside of us, it can lead us to do things that we thought we would never do. Um, and so sin carries with it consequences. And we're going to see that starting in verse 9. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? And what's Cain's response? I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? Am I his Am keeper? I my brother's keeper? Yeah. Right? So here we are again, just like with Adam and Eve, just like his father and mother. God asks him a question. And his response is, well, I don't know. So he lies to God. Right? And then he's like, well, I don't know. It's his fault he's not around. <laughs> and, right? then, and then what? why is it my responsibility to take care of my brother? I mean, I, I don't. He, he's his own man. He can do his own thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's the, the, the question, really. Mm -hmm. The question condemns him. Right. He is his brother's keeper. Mm -hmm. We are each other's keepers. That's right. And if we forget that, then we can very easily hurt each other. It may not be murder, but if you remember, Jesus said, you have heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, do not even hold hate in your heart for your brother. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can do that. Mm -hmm. Right. So the Lord, but the Lord said, so the Lord says to him, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And here's the consequences. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. And Cain's response is, but I could be killed. <laughs> yeah. Right? This is too I much be for killed. me. That's not fair. Mm -hmm. Right? And... Here's the thing. God tried to warn Cain, right? He, you're heading down the wrong path. Mm -hmm. You know, these are the things that you're doing. And Cain's response is, well, my punishment's too great for me to bear, right? In verse 13, this is too much. He says, you have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. Yeah. Notice God never said, that he was banishing him from his presence. Cain adds that. He was banished, but he was not banished from God's presence. Where could he go that God is not? But he has decided that this must be, this must be how bad it is. I don't even get to be in your presence. Mm -hmm. So the consequences are that he has to, to leave that land. But also, I think the other thing to think about is that sin always affects others every time. Yes. It doesn't just affect us. It affects the people around us. And well, I can only imagine what Adam and Eve must have felt. Yeah. They lost two in sons. In that moment, they lost two sons. They lost their first one to the hand of their other son. And now they're losing their other son who is basically having to leave yeah. and to wander. And so I can imagine as a mom and dad, they're thinking back to when the serpent came to them and said, you know, oh, you will not surely die. God's yeah. just trying to keep you from being God like me, you know, like him kind of thing. And so 
Here's proof right here. This is the first murder and death. And from this point forward, it's really coming to pass. Yeah. That we're not going to be here forever like we thought we would be. And so there's all these emotions and these consequences going on. And this is the hard part of the story, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> right? Because God's judgment, it's not just, it's not just punishment, it's discipline. Right. So we see here as we go further on that it's not just the consequences and the punishment that God gives, but immediately, just like in chapter three, gives mercy. That's right. All right? right. So in 13, 15, the Lord replied, no, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, which means wandering east of Eden. So here, Cain basically claimed the punishment was too great to bear. He basically, I think, realized, I really messed up. How many of you have done that, right? When the temptation has come and you fall into that temptation and you sinned and you've messed up big time and all of a sudden you realize this is too much for me. to Wow, I can't bear it, right? But what does God do? He gives them grace. He responds with mercy by marking Cain and saying, no one can touch this person. You know why? Because he's mine. Yes. He is my child. He is still my son. Even though he made a mistake, he is still mine, and you cannot touch him. He is my child. And so he's marked Cain to protect him and gave him mercy. I think that um, this is an important lesson for us, too. God pronounced consequences on Cain, and Cain immediately expected that one of those consequences would be to leave God's presence. And we do that, too, sometimes. We do something wrong and we, we decide in our minds that we are not worthy to pray. We are not worthy to go to church. We are not worthy to, uh, to read the Bible. We are not worthy to, to be involved with God at all because of the way we messed up. But God, that's never God's intention. It's never God's intention for you to be without him. So even when we mess up, we can go to him and there, there will still be consequences right. when we mess up. But we will not have to worry about him taking his presence. Interesting, in Psalm 51, David, after Bathsheba and all the mess that he created with her and and killing Uriah and everything else, he was a murderer, he was an adulterer, it was a terrible situation. Um, But he says, cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. And so that's the very thing he's worried about. It's one of my favorite psalms. Whenever I, when I've really messed up, I go to Psalm 51. And I remember that God is there to give me grace and mercy and that it's never the end of the story when I've messed up. I also want to point out, too, something I just thought of, too. I feel like he just gave me that. He marks Cain to say, this is my mercy. This is, I'm a merciful God. I'm not just a God of, of he is a just God. I'm also a merciful God. He's showing us his character here. When we make mistakes sometimes and God redeems us of that mistake, other people see that. Oh, that's good. That's good. Other people see that he's redeemed us. And they say, you made this horrible decision and this horrible mistake. How are you being able to still um, have faith and still go before God And as a child of God, someone who has accepted Christ, someone who's accepted the Lord, 
can say, because he has marked me, I am his, and he redeems me because he loves me that much. God will always take something bad and make something good out of it. And I think in this case, once again, as think about it, as he's wandering and he's meeting other people, and you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. We, it's a good question. It is a good question. And the, the real answer is we don't know. Remember that the Old Testament is not a history of the world. The Old Testament is a history of Jesus. It, the intention of it is to lead us to the Messiah so that we can understand how God handles a fallen world. And so he's not going to give us all of the answers. So we don't know. There are some theories. And so one of those quick theories is... That just because God made Adam and Eve first doesn't mean he stopped making people. It's possible he made other people. It's also possible that Adam and Eve existed for a very long time before the fall. It's not like the fall necessarily happened on day eight. Like God made the world in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. On the eighth day, Adam and Eve went, man, let's just go ahead and mess with this. Okay? So we don't know um, because in the curse, he says, I'm going to multiply your pain in childbirth which means I'm going to make it greater, which means she must have experienced it. That's why we made a point of saying Cain is the first child uh, in, a, in the fallen world, the first child. We don't know for sure. The, the truth is we'll never know, and it has to be okay. One of the things that we struggle with in our Western culture mindset is that we have to have an answer for everything. But you are reading a book written from the Eastern mindset, which says, if God said it, it's true. We don't have to know the answers. <laughs> Does that make sense? I hope that helps some. It doesn't help me a lot because I really want to know the answer. But the truth is, at some point... Because we were born here too. <laughs> yes, we confuse knowledge with faith. And we think if we have enough knowledge, we can have faith. But faith requires us to say, even if I don't know everything, I still believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? But I just wanted to point out, that's a very good question. Thank you. We had that discussion actually too as we were studying. Uh Um, And just like, you know, in Genesis 1, there's so much debate, right? How long was seven days? Was it really seven days? How did it, you know, and there are four theories right now in the Christian world of that first chapter of Genesis that everyone debates over. But at the end of the day, it doesn't, what what did I say to you the other night? I said, God, think of the earth as a cake. And God's yeah. the baker, yeah. right? We don't know how he baked, put all the ingredients together. We don't know how he, you know, what temperature he set the oven for. We you, don't know how said long the cake how, was. We don't know how God cooks. We don't know how God said. cooks, right? We don't know how long the what cake the is in the oven, right? right? But at the end of the day, God made a cake. Yeah. He made the earth. He made Adam and Eve as the first man and woman on the earth. That part we know to be true. And... Sometimes we get so, like you said, so caught up in wanting to know. And I feel the same way because we grew up that way too. (laughs) In our culture, we want knowledge all the time. Um, And we have this constantly to tell us knowledge. And that makes it, I think, sometimes even harder. But, um, and for the podcast people, I was pointing to the phone. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's, we just have to go by faith and know that this is the part of the story that God wanted us to know. Okay, And then, like I said, I think the other part is, and the point that I wanted to make about the mark on Cain is that when we are, as as a child of God, when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, he marks us. And when he does that, if we still make a mistake, 
he can use that to glorify him yes. and make good out of something bad. Yes. Um, and I think that's the part that God wants us to know the most. Now, as we go on into chapter 4, verses 17 through 24 basically just gives us the descendants of Cain. And so that, to me, I think they're part of the reason he does that is just to show that his mercy, he doesn't, you yeah. know, he, he well, continues on, too. Yeah, 17 through 24 deals with Lamech. Mm -hmm. And the issue with Lamech is that it shows a progression in sin. Mm -hmm. So Cain makes a mistake right. and asks God for mercy, and God gives him mercy by saying, if anyone, if anyone kills you, then I'll visit upon them sevenfold. Lamech kills someone. First, he, he marries two women, which is the first time that happens in Scripture. He marries two women. Um, he has children through those two, women, uh, those two women, and then he kills a young man. And he says, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech will be avenged 77-fold. And that can mean one of two things. Either he's making God promise even more for him than he promised Cain, or he's saying, I don't need God. I will give the vengeance, and it will be even more than God could give. Mm -hmm. Either way, what he's, what's happening is where Cain made a mistake and fell upon the mercy of God, Lamech made a mistake and demanded the mercy of God. And that's different. And so that's what we see is that progression of sin. And yeah. it continues. Evil is becoming more and more. Right. Right. Then in verse 25, we see the birth of Seth. Right. Um, Adam, and Adam had sexual relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to another son. She named him Seth, for she said, God has granted me another son in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. Now notice Eve's yeah. attitude. She's grateful this time. Oh, right? She didn't say, look with the Lord's help, he gave me a man. Yeah. This time she says, God has granted me another son in place of Abel, whom yeah. Cain killed. Yeah. And once again, this is God's mercy, right? Because we know that Jesus has to come through the seed yes. of Adam and Eve, right? And through the descendants. Cain, both sons were killed. So now God not only... Keeps his pro this is where the promises come in. He promised that it would come from the seed of a woman, and he promised that he would crush the head of Satan. And what is God doing? He's redeeming that yes. by giving them Seth. That's good. That's okay? Good. He's giving them Seth. And so we see that Seth grows up. He has a son named Enosh, on and on and on. Um, and there, there is a sense right there in mm -hmm. Enosh. It says, so it says, when Seth grew up, he had a son named and named him Enosh. At that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. So Seth now starts a whole different kind of line. It's a branch off. And that, that, that line is actually listening to God. And then you have all of this um, uh, genealogy. And Day what it's really five. showing is right. how long people live. My goodness, Methuselah is almost a thousand years. I don't know if I'd want to live a thousand years on this earth. But you have all of this going on. But... Uh, as you get to the end of it, um, things are not going well. Right. So then if you skip down in chapter 5 to 28, it says, When Lamech was 182 years old, he became the father of a son. Lamech named his son Noah. And he said, May he bring us relief from our work and the painful labor of farming this ground that the Lord has cursed. And after the birth of Noah, Lamech lived another 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Lamech lived 777 years, and then he died. 
After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And once again, it's important to understand that because out of the line of Seth into Lamech into Noah, as we're going to talk about Noah, we'll see him further on this year, and then eventually leading to Ab Abram. Yes. I want to say Abraham, but it's yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so hard not to. To Abram, who becomes yes. Father Abraham. That's right. Right? And out of Father Abraham comes the Messiah. Now, what God okay. wants us to know is that the world has been getting worse and worse and worse. So in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. And it talks about the Nephilim. We won't get into that today. Uh, but in verse 3, it says, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with is what the NLT says. We'll not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. The word in the Hebrew means to strive after, to reach for, to... to. So what he's saying is, my spirit, and this is a capital S, it's my, this is his Holy Spirit, has been contending with man and trying to get him to do the right things. And it's been so difficult. He finally is like, I'm going to limit their time on earth. They're only going to live for 120 years. I can't take it to go any longer than that. Okay? But that even that doesn't help because later on what we find out is that everything is, it says, it says verse 5, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And that's where we are is that's what sin does, is breaks God's heart. And I, I felt like that was the right place for us to mm -hmm. pause there and wait till next week to talk about Noah. Um, because we can get confused and think that um, the things that we do that go against God have no bearing on him. But Paul, or I'm sorry, Paul, David in that same Psalm 51 says, Father, against you and you only have I sinned. He recognized that to God, anytime that we hurt ourselves and hurt others, anytime we break our relationship with God, it breaks God's heart. And what he wants for us is to have the kind of relationship we all want with a, with a loving father. And when we do things to break that, it destroys him. He can't, he, 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 he can't feel worse about it. So when we think of him as this wrathful, terrible God who's ready to zap us, and we approach God that way, we miss out on a relationship with him. But if we approach him as the God whose heart is broken every time that we walk away from him, then we see the God that is. That's right. And not only is he a God of judgment and, um, and being just, but once again, like I said, before, we've said over and over again, it's accompanied by mercy. And that mercy continues through Jesus Christ. Yes. Right? What is Jesus' attitude? He came into this world with humility. He emptied himself of all that he was entitled to as God to become a human being so that we could be brought back into a right relationship with him. Right? And so we know that at the end, Jesus was spit on. He was beat. He was... Um, punched in the face, all of those things. But he continued to have a spirit of humility and obedience that determined the attitude that he possessed. His attitude was one of humility. 
in Philippians 2.5. You can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. We're going to put it up on the, screen. Up on the screen. But in Philippians 2.5, in the NIV, it states, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In the King James, it says, let this mind be yes. in which was also in Christ Jesus. In the New American Standard, it says, have this attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, you may be tempted, but that doesn't mean you have to give in to that temptation and therefore sin, which leads to breaking God's heart. That's right. The word should there in the NIV when it says your attitude should be the same, in that verse means that God is always going to give us a choice to display his glory in us. So you see the beauty of free will. He gives us that choice. And when we make the right choice, like what he said to Cain, right? Do what is right. Do what is right. Then my glory will be given. Yes. But one of the hardest things about making that verse, verse 5 in Philippians 2, a reality is first living out the two verses before it. Right. So in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain or conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's almost like he wants us to be filled, to be emptied. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love how the NLT says, don't be selfish. Yeah. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others better than yourselves, right? That's what Jesus did, and that's what we need to do, right? So... A lot of people say, well, you know, God doesn't, obviously doesn't know the kind of people I run into at Walmart. Right? (laughs) We're in the parking lot. uh, At Christmas time. But someday we need to look in God's mirror to see what we really look like. Yeah. It's a lot more revealing than what we think. Um, Jesus didn't die just for good people. He died for you and for me, but he died for the world. Yes. Um, and just like God didn't abandon Adam and Eve when they fell in the garden, mm-hmm. he is not abandoning us now. Yeah, or Cain. God wants to mark you today out of the midst of your sin with the mark of Christ himself. Yes. Is the Lord of your life. Do others see his mark of mercy and grace reflected in your day-to-day life? And if it isn't, if you're listening on the radio or podcast or you're here with us today, let it be today and forever. God wants us to come to people every day with the attitude of Jesus. Christ never never is shown in our lives as long as we are the ones calling the shots. Never forget, it's Jesus on the inside working on the outside. So our B today is be willing to be right with God. In your free will to do what is right, that leads to being humble. And when you're humble, you are like Christ. Do you see the link? Okay. And that's what our challenge is for you all today. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Jar with Pastors Michael and Carrie Rogers. If you'd like to support our mission, you can go to www.thejarministries.net and look for the Give button in the top right. Your sponsorship allows us to continue ministering to the least of us in our great city of Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you so much. I am filled 
till we empty.